0: Hello, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode seventy-nine. Again, promising a fantastic episode without Martino Puccio at the helm. And uh, as always, I'm joined by my co-host Matt Santangelo. How are you doing, mate?
1: Uh as good as I possibly can be doing after defeat to Inter.
0: I shouldn't course. really ask if you're doing good, right? That's
1: yeah, a yeah. I'm, I'm I'm hanging in there. Um, of course, three-zero defeat to Inter is never easy to take, but ah. Eh top four and that's that's what we could hopefully bank on right now but i'm um, i'm hanging in there
0: mm. and uh we are not alone we are joined by richard webster uh we've had your colleague and partner in crime harry brooks on the podcast two or three times and done a lot of stuff with him richard why don't you tell our listeners who you are what you do etc
2: thanks mate that's great yeah i'm really happy to be here for a start so thanks for having us on um yeah i know you've you've had harry on a couple of times so i do a lot of stuff with harry basically i'm a coach first and foremost um, i work with uh, a lot of players in the UK and, across Europe. Um, so professional players and academy players will come to me for extra training analysis, that kind of thing. Predominantly younger players, like youth talents, um, either on an individual basis or sometimes in groups, uh, which obviously isn't, isn't happening too much at the moment. Um, I also run an independent academy in London where we bridge the gap between, let's say, grassroots and academy football. So trying to produce top talents, uh, and, you know, players who want to push on and reach their potential. Um, and on top of that, I run a, um, a talent agency as well. So we've just started that quite recently. where We are actually signing um, some of the young talents that we've been helping. So, yeah, just all sorts of football stuff. Very, very busy, to be honest with you, mate. But that kind of, that kind of wraps it up. That kind of encapsulates it a little bit. But mainly a coach. That's me.
0: And also venturing into content recently, right? Like for the last 12, <laughs> 18 months, you and Harry have been uh, on and off doing the podcast. You've got the Patreon that started recently. How's that going?
2: Yeah, it's going well. I'm really enjoying it. Um, we started that basically out of um, out of lockdown, really. So it was, it was <laughs> kind of like, well, what are we going to do? We can't in five years,
0: is pace. everything going to have like the lockdown story like in five years time you're gonna look at youtube channel you're gonna look at a business and everyone's gonna be like actually just started it because lockdown happened
2: (laughs) (laughs) i wouldn't be surprised mate. everyone's gonna have that asterisk next to it you know (laughs) so this is this is my lockdown thing so yeah we started doing it because of that and we're just really enjoying it and seeing how it goes and gives us a chance another way to talk about football (laughs) Mm. as if it wasn't enough
0: uh, and recently joined twitter as well i think i remember I-, I remember saying richard how are you not on twitter you know we've seen harry grow his following exponentially yeah. like uh, you-, you need to get your thoughts out there
2: well yeah and that's uh, that was something you told me about over a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of pace that i work yeah. at mate um so yeah we're getting there we're getting there slowly very slowly
0: better late than never well I think we're going to focus on three core areas. First, we're going to talk a bit about coaches in the UK and Germany because that's where your expertise is probably... Best in, uh, we're going to talk about some of the young talents, maybe that you've worked in, that you've kept your eye on, maybe signed, etc., and who you're really excited about. Then we're going to talk a bit about the Champions League fixtures coming up. But without further ado, first and foremost, look, we, we talked a lot about Marco Rose a couple episodes ago, me, Matt, and Martino. But I want to get your opinion on him going over to Dortmund. I think I saw Erling Haaland with some quotes today saying, "But by the way, crazy goal on the weekend. Can believe that? Um, ridiculous, ridiculous." I had a couple of people go to me, "Oh, it wasn't that good." Um, and I was just like ridiculous, ridiculous. Anyway, um, Marco Rose going to Dortmund. Some quotes today. Harlan saying, you know, uh, I really wanted to work with him at Salzburg. Didn't really get that much time together. Maybe indicating that he's going to stay for another year. But is that a really exciting appointment to you, Richard? I was buzzing off it as a uh, Dortmund enthusiast follower. Uh, I suppose uh, them alongside Gladbach and a couple other teams I keep my eye on in Germany. What did you make of it?
2: I think it's move for them, um, and it was it was coming for a while. I speak to some guys in Germany. I've got I've got friends and colleagues who work over there, and they were saying to me that was the worst kept secret in, um, in German football. Really? Um, wow! So, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were saying that was a that was a done deal <laughs> from a few months back. Um, so they they and most of those guys that I speak to are Dortmund fans actually, and and they were very very happy to see him. So that's 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 interesting that they're. You know, guys who work in football and are Dortmund fans that are happy to see him go across. I think if it's um, what, they, what they do and what they're after, um, I think he's, yeah, it's an exciting, it's an exciting appointment. Um, and he's going to go and join a squad or he's going to go and look after a squad that is really, really sort of poised, if you, you, know, you want to look at it positively, to, um, to make a step and make the next, like, sort of challenge at a crack at the league title. So um, yeah, I think if I was a Dortmund fan right now, I'd be quite excited because um, I think it's a great appointment.
0: And let's get into some of the specifics, right, Richard? Why exactly should they be excited from an on the pitch standpoint? What do you expect to see Marco Rose kind of instill at Dortmund? We know the kind of exhilarating football he he tries to. Um, tries to evoke, right, we've seen what he's done, he's done with Gladbach, the kind of heavy metal, almost clock type of football. Uh, lots and lots of goals create lots and lots of chances. Um, why should they be excited?
2: Um, yeah, m- well, partly that, uh, because I think he's going he's to sort of accentuate what they've they have sort of aligned themselves to, isn't it? They like this heavy metal style, like you say. And um, hes he's going to come in and I think just add a little bit of an edge to that. Because I, I look at Dortmund and I've done some stuff with Dortmund. I've, done, I've had little dealings with them on different things. And I look at the situation or the direction that they've gone. And yes, they've taken this, this, youth, um, this youth approach. Um, and they've got some fantastic youth players there. But really, they should have, I think last season, they should have cracked it and, um, and gone for the title. And this season, I don't think there was any excuses either. And so I think they just need someone to come in and try and find that happy medium between, you know, too much, too much freedom, too much expression, too much uh, go forward football where it's direct and it's explosive and it's about goals, 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 but they need to find that harder edge as well. Um, And I think what he's done in the last couple of seasons for me, I I think he's shown enough uh, growth and enough sort of um, know-how that he's going to go in there and not just be gung-ho and not just be, um, so open as they are now and they're actually going to have a little bit of a harder edge and hopefully they can bridge that gap because it is a big gap between them and, uh, and Bayern Munich so I think that's the most exciting thing that he is hopefully going to ha- strike that happy medium between the two so I think that's what Dortmund Clans can expect
0: Matt have you got any other comments, questions or thoughts? Marco Rose? Yeah discussing... Richard, uh, I...
1: Yeah, I, I wanted to um, wanted to ask you. Assuming, let's assume for a second that um, Holland, as Pet mentioned, and maybe even Sancho, you know, let's assume they stay for a second, right? They stay for a year under Rose. They want to see what he's about. They want to see if maybe they can do something. Make one last push with this little this little unit they got here before maybe disbanding. Is there anyone specific, maybe besides those two, that you find Rose will? Elevate to maybe a different level. Do you think maybe it's GeoRania? Do you think it's um, someone else that we haven't maybe mentioned or that's maybe coming up that says, "Hey, once this guy gets into the into the system and the framework, that he'll be a prime beneficiary of of Marco Rose at the helm."
2: Yeah, I think I think Giurainia is probably um, at the top of that list, or very very high at the top of that list, and then. Um, what he needs to do is he basically needs to see or oversee the elevation of, let's say, Jude Bellingham. So Jude Bellingham's gone in there as a really exciting prospect. Um, mm-hmm. He's played a lot of games. He's had a lot of minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's still incredibly young. And he's, he's a future nailed-on starter every week. Uh, the, the trouble they've had this season, what I've, from what I've seen, is they're far too open. And he gets a lot of game time. He gets a lot of minutes. But he still makes those mistakes, which he's going to do because of his age. I think the biggest the biggest um, challenge that he's going to have is how to, how to integrate a player like Bellingham and Gio Reyna and all these attacking talents that he's got, but make them also um, have a harder edge and be, and be a bit more uh, structured in their approach. So I've watched it quite a few times this season where they've got a nice mix, they've got a lot of attacking talent on the field, but there's not so much thought in terms of uh, positional sense. So, or... Something I spoke about recently on, on one of the pods we did um, about defending behind your own attack. Sometimes you watch uh, Dortmund play football and it's, it, you know, they're happy to win 5 4, but then they're open to losing 4 2 because every attack that they that they are on, they don't seem to understand that they're also defending at the same time. There's no thought about well, what happens if this attack breaks down and they're far too open. And I think Jude Bellingham is going to have a huge role in that. And the combination that Marco Ross is going to be able to form between him and whoever else it might be, it might be Delaney. Um, obviously, he's going to have, he's going to somehow have to fit um, uh, Royce in there as well. But I think Bellingham is going to be going to be key to whatever he does next.
0: Moving back to England, I wanted to ask you about, uh, I guess, your North London rival sporting team, Mikel Arteta, right? The, the team that I support, Arsenal. I want to get your thoughts on how you think he's done so far as Arsenal manager, not coach, manager, which is kind of rare these days, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, what, what are your thoughts there?
2: Uh, it's such a hard one. This, this season's so weird. I think everybody's taken, everybody's gone through periods where it hasn't quite worked out for them or um, well, they've had patches of like dreadful results, put it that way. So Spurs at the moment are in a, in a patch of, of really awful results. Arsenal early in the season, you know, people were going crazy like they're going to get relegated, all this kind of nonsense. People love to reel off the stats of how much closer they are to to Sheffield United than Manchester United and things like this. Um, but as as time's gone on, I think he's done some some really good things, and he is. You can start to see him implement structure and a, a very sort of certain style that he wants. Now it's not for everybody, but it is going to help um, Arsenal to progress, especially in this, in this age of football that we're living in. I know Harry talks about this a lot, in terms of where players uh, want things to be quite easy for them. Um, so there's not, there's not an awful lot of uh, wiggle room or room for creativity and things like that. It's more about the structure, more about putting things in place so so players know where to be and when they're supposed to be there. And it starts to look a bit more formal And I think that's, well, it's, it's clearly that's come from working under Pep for, for the time that he did. Um, so I think you're starting to see much, much more structure. And then, obviously, what he has been able to do as well is start to get a consistent tune out of some young players who are going to be key for him going forward. So Saka, we know, has had a fantastic season from start to finish. But I think he's just, I think he's got better and better. And that is... You have to give credit to Arteta there. It pains me to say it, but they're, they're not, um, you know, it, he's got to get the credit for that as well, and Smith-Rowe too. But I think the main thing that he's been able to do is add structure to the team so they look more balanced, they look more structured, they look like they know what they're doing when they attack, they know what they're doing when they, when they defend. He's still missing key players, he's still missing some areas where he needs, like, you know, a large improvement, but the signs for them, if I was an Arsenal fan, I would start to be encouraged most definitely.
0: Good to hear from me, I guess. Um I think it's go on, sorry Matt.
1: No, I I I think it's I think what our it's I think you're right, Richard, you know, this this season specifically um, this was going to be a really a big indicator of what Arteta was trying to build. I know they hired a midstream last year and, uh, you know, the results and the desire to uh, climb the table, get this project up and rolling and get, integrate a lot of these talented youth players they have, because we'll meet, you know, you know me and have spoken at length about what Arsenal has coming through the system, but it's, a, it's just a matter of getting them integrated and, you know, getting that sort of talent to shine through. And, and Saka has been, Uh, a godsend in my opinion for arsenal fans, because it's always something special looking at the players that come through your system. Yes. But the fact that you can look to a player of this caliber, like we got something really special in here and you kind of knew that was coming, but it's just seeing it in action and in having him be a key member of what Arteta is trying to, um, you know, administer with his, his ideas and way of doing things is has been really encouraging to me, but I was going to ask you a little bit about Balogun because I know, uh, Pat and I have been in talking about this in previous episodes about um, what you see coming from him. Do you think he's someone that would commit to the team, knowing that obviously Arteta is building something here? Or do you think he's someone that maybe will test his waters elsewhere, whether it be somewhere in the Premier League, the championship or abroad? And, and ultimately, what do you think his ceiling going to be? Do you think he's someone that uh, Arsenal fans down the road would potentially regret not giving uh, the club, not giving more opportunity to? someone like maybe at Ismail Benacer, for instance, I like to throw my little Milan um, Milan fandom in there, but he was someone that was at Arsenal, kind of wandered off, and now he's at Milan and he's a key player for them. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on Balogun as a player.
2: So uh, going back to Saka, I agree completely. Um, and it's been, it's been an exciting thing to see. And that's kind of, Arteta's you know, fortunate in, in one regard that, He's walked in and he's got this amazing young talent, sort of galvanised the team. And you see this from time to time where a young talent sort of you know, immediately becomes or very, very quickly becomes like a key player in the team, key player in the, in the whole club. And that seems to be what's happened, which has really helped um, It's helped everything that Arteta's done. So that's helped him then to integrate smith role, because then that's another talent and it, it legitimises the, the pathway from academy into the first team. If, it's, if it was a different player, you might have um, sort of more of a kickback from fans, you know, not that they're in the stadium, but it might be a bit more of a kickback in terms of, well, if it's not working out, if he's playing bad games, he's got to get dropped. So they tend to get a little more, bit more leeway that way. And it's really, really worked out for Arteta, which has then helped him to, to grow Smith-Rowe. Grow is probably the wrong word, but to develop smith Grow. And I would like to see them do the same with Balogun. Whether they're going to whether they're going to do that or not remains um, to be seen because now he's he's kind of, I think Arteta's in a tricky situation where he's got one or two young players in the team consistently um, but he also has to keep an eye on the ruthless nature of things where it is a win now, win now league. Um, I wish it wasn't and I wish there was room for a player like Balogun but my hunch is that they probably won't see the best of him at Arsenal. He'll probably have to, um, We might want to look to to players, trade elsewhere purely because is he going to come into the team and do the job immediately, Um, which is what Arsenal need. Look, if we're looking realistically, top four out of the question this season. Nobody probably expected that from Arteta at the beginning of the season anyway, so that's fine. But you saw what happened with uh, Lampard at Chelsea. It's okay to have your transitional season. But then, you know, you've got to perform. You've got to deliver almost immediately. So is he going to do that with three young players in the team uh, on a consistent basis from the academy? Probably not. So if he's probably going to be pragmatic and then someone's going to have to go. uh, And it it could well be Balogun. They could end up regretting that. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that? Would you like to see him stay? Would you like to see him um, get time to (laughs) <laughs> well, the, the issue is, Richard, is that
0: um, Edin Katia seems to be on his way out from the squad selection over the last few weeks. He's got 12 months left on his contract. Mm-hmm. Lacazette is also in a similar position. I am very... Confused as to what the squad building angle there is if Balogun is also let go, it seems as though there is also this other dimension that people seem to forget about is that Saka, Nelson, Ketia and Balogun all share the same agent, so there is a slight conflict of interest there. Although I'm sure he can compartmentalise, like uh, you know emotions and not wanting one player to get a better deal than the other etc I just yeah really really want him to stay and hopefully Arteta can be the guy to to kind of uh, help him flourish as he's helped quite a few other young players flourish but if it doesn't happen here I think he was, will have a great successful career wherever else he goes but um, I want to move on from Arteta quickly, Ralph Hassan tootle. Uh, another manager who came in from Germany. Um, when he came to Southampton, I think Richard. A lot of people were shocked that he'd gone there. That's how he, that's how highly he's been rated in Germany, and uh, of course now in England, he took a relegation threatened. Southampton team got them into a decent position. They are now in a mid table-ish kind of position now after starting really well. What are your thoughts on him and as, as a manager as well? I think we've, we had a few discussions on Twitter and um, the opinions on him to me are really
2: interesting. The Alpine Klopp. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he came in as, isn't it? Um, yeah. He's an interesting one. So I, I, it's, it's kind of weird. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good manager. And I think, generally speaking, overall, they, he's done a good job. Um, but they've shipped nine goals twice. So <laughs> uh, there's this weird sort of dichotomy going on where it's obviously a good side. And, um, you know, they're the, they're the sort of team that can beat. You know, most most teams on their day, they've got the tools there. They've got the they've got the right up front. They've got interesting players, exciting players. Um, they can be solid, but they can also be shambolic. Um, but generally speaking, I think he's done well. But then, you know, is is that enough? Because he's not brand new to the league anymore. And Saints fans, if you were going to look at the other side of the argument, Saints fans might start to think, "Well, what is the?" What's the next step? What's the progress here? Uh, Are we going to see a realistic push towards uh, European places? Or is that... I'd like to see him stay. I think he's a good manager. Um, I just... It's a strange one. The size of the club. um, They... they, I think it might even be over... I don't want to get people annoyed, but Is that like reaching too far to think of them consistently trying to push for a European place? This is not a big football club we're talking about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: And and I think this is sometimes fans forget, so we should be pushing for European football. We've got Leeds United, we've got Wolves, and above them, you've got, you know, Arsenal, Villa, Everton, Liverpool, Tottenham. Then they're really big boys. And you think, well, where do you fit in? So you know, it might have to be that Saints fans are happy with, you know, staving off relegation every year, and then can you come top ten? Uh, that's not going to be a nice thing to hear. So in those know, remits, then yeah, great coach. Whether he's going to push them on and do what Wolves did and make a decent cracker, um, you know, playing some European football, I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure, and that's going to be a big challenge for him next.
0: It's exhausting, isn't it, though, being a coach when you're overperforming, right? Let's take uh, Nuno at Wolves, etc. Like, I think there is the aspect where you lose a player. Let's say you use a player to injury in Jimenez and Jimenez and suddenly like your whole system breaks down because you, you coach in this kind of uh, manner, philosophy that relies on good players being able to do good things at certain times in games and for example Southampton their derailing of their season so far has been heavily influenced by injuries hasn't it so it's um it's a bit of a an issue for him but yeah I agree I really want him to stay and I think he's one of those managers who is really talented and I think he will succeed at even a higher level um beyond Southampton so uh let's see let's see where um let's see where he, he goes but um Next one I want to talk about, and Matt, we've discussed Jose Mourinho a lot on this podcast um, throughout his time at Man United, throughout his time at Tottenham. Um, Richard, what are your thoughts? You mentioned the little rut that Spurs are in now. How much is Mourinho to blame? I've seen him come out with a few interviews saying, like, I, I, I don't I, I. You know when you see a quote on Twitter and you're like, this can't be real, and then have to watch the interview to see that it is real. The one about him and his coaching staff not having any responsibility in that they're being fatally uh, crucified by bad errors, etc., which maybe to some extent has some truth to it. But, I mean, Spurs spent a lot of money in the summer, uh, or the past two summers, and I just feel that uh, he, him shirking responsibility is a bit strange at the moment, isn't
2: it? Yeah, and, and and to be honest, like I wake up every day and one day I'm I'm Jose out, next day I'm Jose in. Now honest, honestly, at the moment I'm at the moment I'm Jose in, but he's making it more difficult because of these these kinds of comments. Generally speaking, I agree that there's extenuating circumstances in terms of there are Players in the team, or the are areas of the team where you know it's not good enough, and they're going to have to, they're going to have to um, improve. If you want to see the consistent results, he showed that he can. You know, he can get a tune out of the team. Uh, it was two months ago, I think. Thursday, Liverpool and two one Liverpool. I thought it was a cracking game of football. Two completely different approaches. And since then, both teams' seasons, the wheels have completely fallen off from from Liverpool and Tottenham although Liverpool still do well in the Champions League obviously but he doesn't do himself any favours when he comes out with comments like that because you know you're now open to people saying right you're throwing the players under the bus or why, why don't you take you for the coaching and I have to say I do feel sympathy with those those kind of comments because yes we know let's say centre back for example there's some, there's, there's some big problems and there's been lots of individual errors but you know You've got the squad you've got. You're a famed coach. We know you're a very good coach and all of this. He's got the record. He he likes to lean on his record and and, and talk about the things that he's won and everything he has done that. So, okay, we've got these gaps in the squad. They're not delivering, blah, blah, blah. Okay, it was your job to try and get the best out of that team. And you can't tell me that the team that they've got out there at this moment in time could not be doing better than what they are. Now, you could say it's a poor run of form, but when you watch the games, it looks worse than just a poor run of form. Uh, The the defeat to West Ham was sort of, this is an acceptable defeat in terms of the performance. So they put in a performance, shots on goal, went forward, a lot of effort, um, you know, not a lot of quality sometimes, but okay, this was was a, a, a good sign. But there's been games, like the game against Chelsea, um, this angered a lot of Tottenham fans. Where it, it just looked like a complete downing of tools, and you start to wonder. You do start. You know, you do have to start to wonder. When we've seen uh, it explode at Chelsea previously, we've seen how it deteriorated at Manchester United. I just hope that we're not going to go and, and go through that process again with Tottenham. So yeah, I think he's got to take a fair a fair slice of the bank, Even though I think he's an absolutely top class manager who is capable of getting getting the best out of this group of players. But he's he's got to do something. Something's got to be put right, and I'm not quite sure what it is.
1: Let me ask you this, Richard. Um, on Mourinho and just the general dynamic right now, currently at Tottenham, right? It's been a turbulent season. They have gotten into first place at one point. Obviously, they're free-falling now. They're in some pretty difficult form. Um, knowing what you know about the nature of Mourinho, his coaching staff, his way of doing things, and obviously the talent they currently employ. Do you see any sort of potential pathway to maybe using the Europa League as a as a, a way into the Champions League next year? Do you think that's an, a possibility of winning somewhere that route?
2: I think he's going to have his eyes firmly on that now. Yeah, I do. I Because they're in a good position true. now
1: to get to the 16, and, then, and yeah. then it becomes a matter of okay, well, maybe he's not going to finish top four in the league, but now all of a sudden you have to really allocate your resources once you get to that final 16 if any competition, thinking, all right, this is our way. We're going to pivot to this and, and try and really go all in for this.
2: I think that's a really good shout. I think if you look at Jose Mourinho, at his core, all, you know, all that matters is to win. That's all that matters. Um, so even when Spurs were top of the league, we should probably have an asterisk next to it because it's hard to believe. But when Spurs were at the top of the league. Um, we weren't playing attractive football. We had a few games where you know it was about attractive football. But everybody knows Jose only cares about the win. Look at the league table now; it doesn't look pretty. He's going to have to, like you said, allocate his resources correctly and pivot towards whichever area he can get the most success. Um, you know, if they if they pull off, and I, the thing is, I wouldn't put it past him if he pulls off a, a cup final win against City um, uh, in the League Cup which is coming up but you know you couldn't put it past him I'm glad we're not playing him uh or we didn't play him in the last couple of weeks because that would not have been close um, and that will obviously give him some breathing room but now I think yeah it has to be all about the Europa League um, and he's capable of doing it but there's some massive teams left in so yeah he's he's got a big 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 few months um, which is going to set out his future for him we could you know it's potentially you could not see him there at the club next season
0: Is, is the danger Richard in me as an Arsenal fan being an optimist because I don't have a track record of Arteta to know how he deals with bad situations or good situations or how he deals with getting young players to perform or certain types of players to perform whereas with Mourinho we've kind of seen this cycle over and over again. We know that he clashes with certain personalities. I thought when Bale came on in uh, the previous game against West Ham, he was Spurs' best player by a distance for those 30 minutes when he came on. But a week before that, Mourinho clearly clashed with Bale, talked about him in the media, etc. It just feels as though, as a Spurs fan, if you're looking at the situation, him and as a coach and, and what's going on, you feel that it's inevitable at some point that he will be that that they will part ways because there is a lot of talent in that Spurs team that I think when is uh unlocked in the right way could do really well I mean I'm talking about players like So I think Ndombele um has had a an interesting season he's kind of done well at certain points in this year but also been hauled off in every big game that Tottenham have played and, and not performed in any of them I I just I just feel that there is talent there um, and it's not being utilised correctly, I mean even Sergio Reguilon, first quarter of the season looked great, was looking like the next kind of Robertson down that left hand side in the Premier League and since then it's just been a. I know he's been injury riddled but it just seems as though he might have less licence, I just, I don't know, I just feel like there's a, a lot more to unlock from that Spurs team we kind of know what Mourinho's track record is and it just feels like isn't it time uh, Spurs revert to having that project type manager like Pochettino I don't know who that would be what type of profile i would be a type of Marco Rose profile but it feels like that is maybe a better fit for Spurs
2: yeah you, I, I can't really argue against that they obviously went away from that philosophy or you'd like to think they knew they were going away from that when they went with Mourinho so you know you said it project um project type manager or project coach. That's a great way to put it. And that's exactly what Marco Rose is. And then you know, look at someone like Nagelsmann and then Arteta's obviously a project. He's going to build and build. Uh, that's not Mourinho. They brought him in because they thought we can win something with this group of players. And that's clearly not working out. So then I take your point. It's a good point. Do we then have this bias where we say, well, we know what Mourinho does in these situations. Um, because he's got this track record, and that could actually play against him, where things, I don't know what's happening between him and Bale, could be perfectly fine, could be two professional people getting on with it, but you are, you know, tempted to believe that there must be something going on, because he's obviously still performing at a decent level, and he's not getting the minutes, and other people are getting the minutes in front of him, and that's just one example. Like you said, Reggaeon, what's happened to his pool? Um, then Bennett gets hauled off normally having been our best player for about 65 minutes he still gets hauled off every time so it's a really frustrating one to look at Um, I still think I'm a believer in in, in, um, a bit more long termism I would like to see more long termism in football and I don't like the merry-go-round of coaches so even as a Spurs fan I would much prefer to be patient and say okay let him actually uh, deal with the situation It's a massive challenge. Top four's obviously gone. Um, But let's see how he deals with it. And, you know, we've waited long enough for success. So if we wait another couple of years, I've got no problem with that. But yeah, you you are starting to see maybe the the writings on the wall because we have seen this before. Um, And I think it'd be a massive shame if it is. But all the talents there, I mean, the the, the combinations that he could have going forwards is, you know, it should be frightening in terms of what they can do going forwards. They just need to have a little bit more structure um, and a bit more competency at the back. And then, you know, things can things can change rapidly. You spoke about Wolves earlier and how, um, what, what a massive miss uh, Jimenez is. And it is a massive miss. So it affects all of the players. So Adama Troiore doesn't look anywhere near as good because Jimenez isn't on the pitch. And, you know, that, that's to be expected. And it's the same for Tottenham. If you've got players underperforming massively um, in the back line, and even Hugo Lloris, you know, making, making errors and making mistakes, which you'd expect not to make, um, it does have a massive effect on the team, especially when the, the table is so competitive anyway. Mm. So, yeah, very frustrating times at the moment. Hopefully you can turn it around and we're not seeing another, not seeing another implosion. Mm.
0: Yeah, well, I'd love to say let's hope so, but you obviously know that's that's not going to come from my heart.
2: Um, <laughs> You'd be lying,
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'd be
0: lying to the listeners, to you, to Matt. I wouldn't feel right. I want to just ask one last one, right? And this is about Guardiola. How surprised have you been, and I'll open this up to Matt as well afterwards, about the pragmatism that he's shown in... The way his teams have played this season, a lot more one nails, a lot more clean sheets. Seemingly, they look like by far and away the best team in world football at the moment. Have you been very surprised by what he's done?
2: Um, Essan, no. So I think he gets a lot of credit um, for the way that he's gone about it. This is this is a really bizarre season where the fixtures are crammed in, crammed together. There's a lot of um, fatigue. Uh, that's going to play a part. I think you know, we can't also discount the emotional fatigue as well. A lot of, a lot of uh, players are dealing with a lot of things with the whole COVID. Uh, it's dragged on and on. It's a grind for these players this year. And Harry makes a good um, all the time. And I hate giving credit, but I have to give him credit on this one. I think he made a good call when he said Manchester City um, play in a very structured way where they've learned the system, the players have learned the system, And so that allows you to not think less, but you can go into autopilot a little bit more than some of the other teams. And then the tools or the players that he's got playing that system are so highly skilled that they're able to carry out, you know, their style of play, not on autopilot, but as close to autopilot as you can get. So I think in this weird season where it's ultra competitive, and we've seen some really strange results. And I do think COVID's played a part in terms of how strange it's been. I think Man City are always going you know, to chip away at, because they're so consistent. Um, and I think the, the progression of Diaz has helped him to do that as well. Um, so I wouldn't say that I'm surprised by the pragmatism. I think it's a result of uh, the fixtures coming so thick and fast. The, the fact that we've had COVID, no fans in the stadium. I think his system and the way that he sets the team up allows the players to almost slot into place. And then because they have the superior talent one to eleven across the pitch, more superior than most of most oppositions they face, then eventually they'll win. And even if they're playing poorly, one nil will do. Um, but it's good to see because um, I love a one-nil, mate. I'm sure you do you're an Arsenal fan, so you must have a one-nil too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Matt, any thoughts?
1: Richard, I I just wanted to ask you more so on their Champions League focus, right? Because, you know, obviously that's been something that's evaded City um, for a while now. They've obviously been putting a lot of resources, a lot of time, energy and effort uh, on the market with their their coaching selection and to getting this trophy, right? This has been something that's been very evasive for them. And obviously when you hire Pep Guardiola, that's something that you really strive and aim for. Given their form now, given the fact that you have certain players in their squad that are really playing their best football right now at the right time, and they're really starting to cement themselves, um, and you can make a case they're already going to be you know, the title winners based on how they're yeah. playing and their positioning and everything like that. Do you see them as like legit top two, maybe top three, maybe just the consensus favorite to win the Champions League right now based on what you know about them? Guardiola as a manager, as you guys have been discussing here, the pragmatism and in some of the results they've obtained, but also the the field, the rest of the competitors that they maybe could come up against, like Bayern Munich, who uh, obviously are to be taken very seriously and and everything like that. But obviously, in some of the results we've seen, when the champion, uh, not not Champions League, in the Bundesliga, they've shown a little bit more vulnerability. So, do you like City as a favorite right now for that for that competition? Uh,
2: Yeah, as of today, definitely. I think. Um, I think maybe a month ago, I would have leaned with, uh, with Bayern by Munich, but what we've seen over the last few games and how they've stretched this run out, and Petty, you made a great point about the pragmatism, these 1-0s, the players hitting their peak form at the right time, so Gundogan's really, like, done amazing things recently, uh, Sterling, Bowden, Bowden's progression this season's been, like, incredible, and Really great to see him. I'm loving the fact that he's adding goals to his game as well. Yeah, I'd have them. Um, I'd have them as favorites. And and he basically, I don't want to say he has to win it this season, but you know, it, it's it's a big it's a big thing for Guardiola. He's got to win Z at some point or another with Man City. And how long does he have to do that? So this is he's got a big opportunity here. And yeah, I make I make them not the clear and away favorites. But, yeah, I've got them at the top. And then Bayern just behind that with, uh, you know what? I have to say Liverpool. I think Liverpool still have a great chance um, because they're a good side. They have threats up front. Um, We know they can score. We know they've got to know how to win the Champions League. You know, I think that's huge. That can't be discounted, the fact that they've done it before. And some other traditional big hitters aren't. are perhaps what they were in terms of Real Madrid and and Barcelona and so on. But yeah, Man City one, uh, Bayern Munich two would be my my top two shouts at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty similar to me. Um, I think PSG might uh, get quite far as well, at, um, considering they might already be part, part, past Barcelona off that first leg. Um, hmm. Let's what shift focus. Go on, sorry.
2: Atletico Madrid. So I was just mm, going to ask your yeah, thoughts. Yeah. You, you guys' thoughts on, on Atletico because that's the one I always I think about the most in terms of <sighs> that's got a big question mark over it.
0: So our co-host, Martino Puccio, thinks that they are going to walk over Chelsea quite easily. Um, okay. I think they'll beat them. I don't think it'll be that easy, but uh, that's just because I think Tuchel is quite a pragmatic manager. Um, but I do think they will get... Uh, Quite far. I have them getting probably to the semi-finals, but it, it depends on who they've got in the quarters. They've kind of let up a little bit in the league recently. Um, yeah, but I do think they are yeah within the top four or five candidates for me. I've probably got um, I've probably got uh, City top, Bayern second, and then I've got PSG and um, and Atletico as my three and four, whichever way you want to put it.
2: Mm. Yeah, good shot.
0: I mean Simeone loves a cup uh, a UCL run, doesn't he? So you can't pass, put it past them. Um, let's And I think he's done go on, really sorry. Great. Sorry, go
2: on. No no no. it's no, no, no. just what, what an amazing job he's done over the oh, last. Fantastic. Uh, that doesn't get enough that doesn't get mentioned enough because the consistency he's managed to put together. And, you know, he's probably gonna win the title again this year, which is insane. Um, so I think he's a brilliant manager. I think he's superb.
0: Well, let's shift gears a bit here and ask you a bit more about footballers themselves, right? So you've worked with a load of young talent. I want you to give me a few names out there who who might, you know, have stellar years in 2021, um, whichever league there might be in, and people you might have worked in with, people you might have just been looking at from afar, etc. Who's really exciting you, Richard, over the next 12 months or so?
2: Well, if I look at, Players, let's say who are on the edge of exploding. Um, there's a lad who left uh, Man City recently to join uh, Udinese, uh, Jaden Braff. So Jaden Braff, I think, is a super super talent. And uh, myself and Harry did a little bit of um, little bit of work with Jaden in terms of uh, analysis of some of his games while he was at Man City. And last season he was the under-23 player of the year, player of the season. Um, Dutch player, unbelievable talent, really explosive, uh, wide player. And, you know, I think he was on the cards that he was going to leave City because, you know, how's he getting into that first team? <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the problem they've got. That's the downside of, of having such a phenomenal first team. Um, but you are going to lose some, some big talents. And he's gone out to uh, Udinese and I'm expecting massive things from him. Uh, but this is, this is the big challenge. This, this next year or so will be the huge challenge as to whether he explodes into a bona fide superstar uh, that we're gonna be hearing from for the next 10 years, or whether he just remains a like supremely gifted youth talent that ended up having a decent career. Because it's all there, the whole spectrum is there. We could we could be talking about him in the same way that we're talking about um some of the top players in the Champions League now. I truly believe that, the likes of Haaland. Um, or you could see, and I'm not being disrespectful, you could see a uh Januzai, um career, if you like. So um if you remember Adman Yanazai bursting onto the scene with um yeah. Manchester United and you know. He was like, okay, this guy this guy looks great. Everything's there, skillful, attacking, scored a couple of goals, played with a lot of verve, a lot of energy, takes the ball really nicely, and then didn't quite have the level of career that the talent promised. So Jaden Graff's quite high on the list for me. Um, and then if I look further back, if you want to go slightly younger, um, Shola Shorthaya, who made his debut last night, I think it was, for Manchester United against Newcastle. Um, This is a serious talent, an absolute serious talent. So Manchester United have been nurturing this lad for a long time. And we actually came across him. Our academy played against Manchester United when he was, this is a few years ago, this was an under-12 tournament. And a really great tournament, Liverpool there, Manchester United, my academy, FUTU from Germany, Bayern Munich, Schalke, Augsburg. Uh, Fulham, Tottenham, and Arsenal, there as well. And Shuler, by by miles, the best player there, Uh, got top goal scorer, got player of the tournament. And it seems strange to say, but this is five seasons ago from there to making his debut last night in the league. And he's a phenomenal talent. I think he's going to be around that first team. Um, I hope, for a long, long time. So they're, they're pretty high up my list. Um, and shoulders, an interesting one. He plays, he can do a lot of things. So really, really intelligent player who can play sort of just off the striker, um, like, a, like a sort of a deep forward, maybe a 10. Um, but he's also got a great goal-scoring record as well. So I think we're going to see more and more over the next few months, he's going to get more and more game time you to see what they do with him in terms of whether they loan him out or whether he's one that they just integrate into the first team. The latter, where he's got the talent and the ability. And more importantly for me, it's the game intelligence. that He doesn't necessarily need to be loaned out to learn this and see the picture and pick up the pace of the game. I think he's going to be that level super quick. So, which is great. And, and Manchester, I, I give them credit I think I've, we've played against a lot of academies we'd be blessed to, to come across lots and lots of different academies and see their system and they're number one for me in terms of producing talent uh, consistently year on year um, certainly in, in England uh, they're the they're the market leader um, of producing players who are able to go into the first team um, it's such a huge club. So, yeah, Jaden Bratt, shoulder short tyre. Um, and another exciting one uh, i watched a little bit in the, in the Under-17 World Cup, um, just the, the last one previously. I always bang on about this lad, and that's uh, Gabriel Verón from uh, Palmeiras. So, you guys probably uh, know about Gabriel Verón already, but he's he's set to explode. Unfortunately, he missed out on the on the final, the Copa Libertadores final, which was Dross. I don't know if you saw that game at all. It was absolutely dreadful. It was probably a good one to miss. But he's a super exciting talent, um, a bit like Jaden Brath in, in in some regards. He can play left and right side uh, as a wide forward, super explosive, uh, eye for goal, ridiculous pace, and. Something that I, I quite like in a young player, he's got um, he's got that nasty streak. He's got that not nasty in terms of the way that he approaches the game, with physicality, or anything like that. But when he runs at players, he runs at them with intent. If you know what I mean. So it's the intent to hurt the opposition, to get in on goal, to make things happen, um, which we don't you don't always see from. Uh, young talents. There's that nervousness sometimes, that timidness. Um, but you see it in Saka. You see when Saka picks up the ball, he, he doesn't think of himself as a young player. Mm-hmm. The, ball, the, the ball finds him because he's leading. He's leading the group. He's leading the team. Um, and it's the same for this, this, this player, Gabriel Varon. Um, they have that certain vibe about them, that personality where they can stamp their authority on the game like from such a young age. So they're my, they're my top three picks, mate. David Brath, Gabriel Baron,
1: and uh, a Shola Shortaya. I want to ask you um, about any potential top players, players that have maybe um, seen their stock grow significantly this season at the championship. I know Buendia, um at Norwich, attacking midfielder, attacking playmaker, uh, plays a winger, uh, who has been linked to Arsenal. I know he's one that many people are familiar with. Uh, but in looking at the table, looking at some of the, the years that maybe some of these other sides have had in the championship, do you see anyone in that sort of um, category that, that's being able to uh, make that next step to the, to the Premier League with a potential promotion and can maybe do something really special with it? Um, so if I,
2: I'm quite biased being a Spurs fan, so what I'm excited by at the moment is uh, Oliver Skip. So mm-hmm. just as a top fan, watching Norwich um, at the top of the league is great. I quite like Norwich. I've always had a soft spot for them because they were always sort of around the, the Premier League when I was growing up. So I've always had a soft spot for Norwich. And I think it's a brilliant loan for Oliver Skip. And what he's done while he's been there has been fantastic as well. Because this is something we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, that transition from youth talent into key first-team player is Super difficult, and I think from the outside, sometimes fans don't understand, you know, how difficult that is to go from being the guy that all the fans are excited about. Oh, why don't they play him? Why does like Hudson Odoi? Why doesn't Hudson Odoi get minutes? And why doesn't he he play? Him? Oh, we should be playing Smith Rowe more often, and all of these things. And then, then they get minutes, and then it transitions to, oh, he's not playing very well. <laughs> so now all of a sudden, instead of being um, this guy who you give a pass to and say, well, you know, he's a young player, we need to give him minutes, the manager should be playing him, he should be blood in the youth. As soon as he plays three or four games, we switch our, we pivot our focus and say, well, he should be delivering now, I need nines out of ten every week. And it's really difficult. So when you see young players come through the academy and then make that step into becoming a key first team player, I think it's fantastic and he's applauding. So, yeah, all of us get top of the list for me. And if um, he carries it on, he'll be back in the Premier League. Well, either with Norwich or back with Tottenham, either way.
0: What about Michael Olease out at uh, Reading? He's one of the, my favourite players in the Championship to watch. I wanted to get your opinions on him. He just looks like so, so silky. I don't know if it's because he's so athletic, aesthetically good to watch, um, but he just looks incredible, doesn't he, Richard?
2: I haven't, honestly, mate, I haven't seen enough of him. To, ah, um,
0: maybe one to keep to your eye, eye comment, on
2: that. But I like what, yeah, I'm have to make a note of that, mate. You <laughs> one, I'm going to have to make the time to watch. <laughs> if, you're, if you're giving him the uh, the big thumbs up, mate, then uh, I will be watching some highlights later today. But, yeah, Reading always seems to come up with these sort of talents, though. Um, and it's another club that, that does that quite regularly, so... Yeah, I can't comment enough on him, mate. I'm probably not in a position to say whether whether he's the next one to to burst through. Unfortunately,
0: I just want to ask you last couple of guys in the championship, uh, players that have already played little bits in the Premier League, Jao Pedro and Ishmael Assar over at Watford. Um, I mean, Esmeralda Sarr especially looks like he, he's just on fire. But Jao Pedro was incredibly highly rated uh, coming out of Brazil. And I wanted to get your thoughts on, on those two, if you've watched them at all, Richard.
2: Yeah, so Jao Pedro, I think, um, like you said, he was incredibly highly rated. And they've got, this, they've got this link up with Brazil where they're, you know, Watford are an interesting one. They're... they're um, the recruitment can be really interesting when I mean, they pluck these players uh, and you think, wow, this is gonna be a player, and they they burst onto the scene or whatever. But uh, I think they paid they didn't pay that much for him, did they? Was it, it wasn't a big, it wasn't a massive signing fee they got him for? Um, and he's done amazing if you look at his numbers, uh, which is which is interesting because a lot of times Brazilian players struggle. Um, when they when they come over, and then especially in the championship, this is uh, the sort of place where normally we see uh, players like that sort of um, hit the ground running, if you know what I mean. Uh, especially as a young player, so I think I think he's brilliant, mate. And it's the footwork, the footwork, um, mm. the speed of movement. It's like it's everything we expect to see. Uh, he's, he's eye-catching is how I would put it um, eye-catching player mate he just needs to now kick on and, and make sure that consistency stays there mm. and um, can he keep can he keep doing it because like I said the championship is the championship is brutal it's mm. absolutely brutal so yeah that's going to be interesting to see whether he does it but it looks like he's made a great start so what lot of be excited about Mm.
0: Um, let's move on to previewing the the this week's Champions League games. This will obviously go out tomorrow. We're recording on Monday twenty-second. This will go out twenty-third, so Tuesday in the day for people in the UK and in the morning for you out in North America. Um that's committed to Chelsea. We've already talked to them about about them a little bit. Um I see this one over two legs being just a bit too tough for Chelsea, um, even if they have kind of recovered some form. Matt, is uh, a couple of recent results from Atletico Madrid anything to worry about? Or do you think their kind of know-how and experience in the Champions League is just going to see them through here?
1: I just think Atletico Madrid's um, character. I think the mentality they have in this competition—they're battle tested. I think they've been through this so many so many times, despite maybe some difficult you know matches here and there in the league, as you mentioned. I think I'm going to pretty much piggyback what Martino said in our previous episode. Um, maybe not so much being that aggressive with Atletico Madrid, just kind of handling them completely. I think Chelsea will do some things because I got to respect the fact that under Thomas Tuchel, they've come back to form at least they look somewhat of the team that many expected coming into the season having said all that you have Simeone you have their entire um, character their personality in this sort of competition that we've seen over years that's something that that is instilled in that squad so far that from what I've seen in this competition this year that I just don't see Chelsea being able to get past them and, and, and and knock them off so I think Atletico Madrid over two legs I think it'll be some, some, some moments where maybe Atletico look a little bit vulnerable. But overall, I think Atletico Madrid will do the job. But I think if you're Chelsea, given the season that you've had, probably you are not expecting completely to be Atletico Madrid. But I think you want to see that sort of competition and competitive spirit in this tournament that at least gives some sort of uh, promise and, and, and excitement heading into maybe next year.
0: Richard, do you see Chelsea giving Atletico any
1: trouble?
2: Um, I'm agreeing there. I, I think they will give them trouble, but I, I think Atletico are just too strong. Um, I think they're too far into the project. You've got to respect the fact, the um, dead like there about uh, Tuchel coming on board. I think you've got to respect the, uh, not the fans, so that's unfair to say the new manager bounce or whatever. I think he's actually, he's done a bit better than that. And... Um, they've definitely got a renewed energy but I I just think Simeone the know-how uh, the fact that they've been there before uh, this group's really experienced I think they'll just be too strong I see both games being um, both teams scoring to be honest with you oh wow Okay. Uh, so we could be, yeah 1-1 one, one in, in one leg 2-1 in the other or whatever or 2-1-1 one, 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 that type of thing. but I think it's going to be a bit of an arm wrestle that um Atletico will good, come out uh, just slightly on top, just slightly too much. But it'll be interesting next year, Tuchel will, um, you know, you'll it, be much more prepared and, and that kind of thing than this year, not this <laughs> year. Sorry, Chelsea fans. <laughs>
0: um, and then the, the other game on Tuesday is Lazio Bayern. So, I mean, look, when we first previewed this a couple of weeks ago, Richard, we were just like, yeah, buying easy. And I still think it's that. <laughs> But they are yeah. now looking like they are there to be got out, aren't they?
2: They are. And it's uh, it's a strange one. It's, it's you know, is it too much success? Is there too many games at the moment? They played the Club World Cup. Did, they, did that take something out of them uh, with the travel and whatnot? But there's been some strange results. they conceded goals. Um, and not just a couple. And they have to be careful that that edge of well, that era of invincibility doesn't come off them because we saw previously if we look at let's look at Liverpool and Man City so Man City when they were unbelievable storming the league um, and United used to have this as well where they've got this era of invincibility and you know the opposition have, uh, you know you're one nil down mentally before you play the game and Liverpool had that at times and that's completely gone from Liverpool now so and that's just due to form. So as soon as you start to lose, lose games or struggle a bit more than normal or concede goals, that air of invincibility goes. And now you embolden the opposition. They think, Do you know what? We've actually got a chance here. And I'm sure Lazio looked at this a month ago or six weeks ago, or whenever. I thought, no, <laughs> we're out. But now they're looking at this and they might have a renewed sort of energy about it. They might actually think, well, you know what? We can go with these guys. And I still think Bayern are too strong. There's no way, surely, that um, they don't stop the rot and they don't they don't get through. But Lazio will cause a few problems, and it's another one. I think it's going to be high-scoring, high-scoring, um, a high-scoring uh, fixture. One of these guys.
0: games is, is finishing 5-2, isn't it? Uh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Because Lazio don't really, you know, they're not uh, they're not too fussed about defending either. You can get all sorts of scores with Lazio, so. Yeah, that's both teams to score in in both legs,
0: I think. Uh, And moving on to Wednesday, we've got one again, Matt, that we previewed as being a Real Madrid going through. But seemingly, it looks like every single Real Madrid starter is injured, including their talisman, Benzema. Has that shifted your opinion? Do you think Atalanta could do this on Wednesday, Matt? I mean, yeah. I
1: mean, I really (laughs) do think, I mean, Listen, I I I think there's a lot to to say and a lot of credit to be given for Real Madrid, um, and a lot of respect to have for the fact that they are the most storied, most successful team club in this competition ever. But I think there's something that has to eventually give, right? Even when Real Madrid were health, at their healthiest points this season, they weren't the Real Madrid that strong team, top to bottom, that you know everyone has come to know, right? They still showed gaps and 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 issues within their squad that leave them open and then you go up against a team like atalanta well we obviously know that they can attack they were they were one of the top scoring sides in all of europe last year um a team that's finished back-to-back top four finishes top four in the league so they can attack they they'll, they'll, they'll be progressive in their approach to to real madrid i don't think they'll be, succumb to the pressure the environment right and think not having fans in that won't really shake them, right? That's an element that I think a lot of people are really starting to look at more so now when you get into these knockout stages, right? At- Atalanta team having to travel to the Bernabeu with a, f- a full packed crowd versus going over there with Real Madrid being depleted of some of their main resources. I don't have all the names there, but it looks like it's like a laundry list of like a 10, 11 guys. With Atalanta being able to effectively play after after a victory they had against Napoli on the weekend four two, play to a team like Real Madrid where they can immediately dictate the pace of the game. You'll attack them, pin them back in, and try and get a couple goals here and there. So um, I look, I still do think Real Madrid will get get by here. Um, I just think that they'll be they'll be they'll be coached well enough. They'll have certain players in certain positions where they'll be able to to mask maybe some of the the, the absences they do have, but by no means were, it, was I as safe or as, am I as safe and comfortable um, making my, my prediction here um, as I was last week I, oh, I we, the, We've the, got Hazard
0: Ramos, Benzema, Valverde Carvajal, Marcelo and I Rodrigo mean, all out
1: Wow, I mean what's their 11, yeah. I mean can we speak on what their 11's going to look like then? Um I mean, really, like... <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's one thing to have two or three guys out that are key players in a team that of of Real Madrid's. That's
0: the previews on who scored.
1: Behind, ready to roll, but I mean, you're looking at like a full eleven of <laughs> hot players out. So they've I, I don't got
0: know. who scored? Have got Vazquez, Ferran Nacho, Mendy, Cruz, Casemiro, uh, Modric. So they've got the big three in midfield, but then Asensio, Mariano, Diaz, and uh, who's Vinicius, supplying final up top, I,
1: I someone I think there was a there was a big Real Madrid account that I follow, pretty much saying that well if, if next to Benzema, it's I think their highest goal scorer is Casemiro. <laughs> Benzema, like, wow! And, like, and look, where, and, and... That, where are those goals coming from? If you think that Real um, that Atalanta are going to be able to score in this one, well then Real Madrid's got to be able to kind of come back and respond there. So that's it's going to be really interesting this one.
0: And it, I mean, Atalanta had the privilege. Of resting Ilicic against Napoli on the weekend, Matt. So this is chalk and cheese in terms of the rest, the men, you know the mentality. Sometimes when loads of players are out, the other players raise their games, but it just feels like Atalanta might smell blood here, Richard.
2: Smell blood's the word, mate. Like you said, if if they um, that depleted, and it's not just the players that are that are out, it's the it's the sort of the vibe that that carries on through the team. So Benzema being out is not just the goals that you miss; it's it's the edge to everything that you do as well. So it's the the winning mentality just just takes a slight hit. Um, Atalanta are off some you know they're off the back of some big results. I think they've beaten Napoli twice this month or in the last in the last few weeks. Once in the cup, big win at the weekend 4 or two. We know this you know shock full of goals. Yeah, they, they must be licking their lips at this and thinking well this is, this is it here we've, we've got to see days off um, but again, aside the other two um, i don't see uh, I don't see this being, <laughs> being a tight affair then can Atalanta um, can they defend well enough to keep Real Madrid out I'm sure Real Madrid will be looking at this thinking if we can just get, we can just get to the second leg then um, you know, in some kind of a shape and then you know patch up and see what we're looking at for the second leg, then maybe we'll be all right. But that's it's massive for Atalanta. They've got to do it in this, in this first leg with disadvantage. They've got to do it. Mm. Um, I think they will. I think it won't be a rollover, but I see them scoring three and um, really having a, a good daily office. Mate.
0: It feels like it might be an Ajax against Madrid type thing. But let's see. Um, the last one is Gladbach against Man City. So you spoke glowingly of Marco Rose earlier, but is he going to have his work cut out realistically after City have won like a thousand games in a row?
2: I, I, who could be, I don't know who could beat Man City at the moment?
0: <laughs> not Arsenal was the answer basically that we found out this weekend.
2: Yeah, not not Arsenal. I think they did quite well. But yeah, <laughs> well, then you know, relatively, relatively, but. They don't even have to play well to win at the moment, mate. Mm. Um, of gladbach are gonna struggle big time. Um, they're gonna find that hard. Although Man City sometimes they they sometimes start slow in these games. And you know, if you can get to they've had a few stodgy, um, stodgy performances, you know, in the group stages uh, in the Champions League, where they weren't Rylin, they weren't gun ho. Then maybe that's gonna be that pragmatism you spoke about earlier coming from Pep. So maybe we don't see them go there and uh, hand out a wallet in or hand out a 4-2 you know, or, or, or something like that. Maybe we see them just go and blind it out because there's, there's more games to win in the Premier League. And the, you know, they could demoralise everyone even more. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, it's one, way, one way that's going, Man City. They're going to win both legs.
0: Yeah, I I can't see it going any other way. I mean, I just think the depth, you know, the ability to rotate is going to help Man City so much in the Champions League. Like, they could go to uh, Gladbach and basically have Kyle Walker, Mares, Aguero, uh, etc etc on the be- Lepore all on the bench do you know what I mean like yeah. Bernardo Silva there is so many players that are going to miss out on that starting 11 and it just helps so much but um, hopefully yeah. gladback can give them a game but it doesn't seem yeah. likely
1: no, it doesn't look good for them
0: <laughs> um, Matt I don't know if you've got any other final questions but that might be us wrapping up
1: yeah this was this was a blast Richard thank you for coming on and um, before we, we sign out, Pet and I give you the platform to plug anything you're working on, any projects you have going, by all means, take it away.
2: Oh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on guys. I've really enjoyed it. Um, good chat. Look out for those players. If you get a chance guys, especially, um, especially shoulder, shoulder, Manchester United, shoulder, short tire. But yeah, real blast having me on guys. Thanks very much. Um, my Twitter is at uh, RW underscore round If people want to check me out there. So I do a lot of stuff with Harry Brooks, who we've had on before. I know, but um, yeah, guys, absolute pleasure. I'm sure we'll have you guys over to the, uh, the coach's view for our podcast uh, pretty soon. And um, yeah, we the rest of the week in the Champions League football, guys.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. Matt, where can people find out more about you as usual?
1: Sure. On Twitter, as always, at Matt underscore Sant'Angelo. And make sure you're following at Milan Reports, where Martino Puccio and I cover post-match reaction and our uh, weekly podcast, which goes live on Twitch every Tuesday.
0: Cool. And you can find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. And you can find us on at State of Play Pod, P-O-D, on all social platforms. Thank you very much for listening and have a great week. We will have more State of Play podcast for you next week.